Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Get the seal wrong, you're fired. Thank you, Anderson. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. Why are Republicans still blocking election protection, even as their own members on the Senate Intel Committee issue brand new warnings about Moscow's ongoing meddling? Next, why won't the president tell Senator McConnell to do his damn job? We're going to take that question to the president's re-election campaign press secretary. And if the Democrats expected Mr. Mueller to create a consensus on impeachment, didn't happen. But many Democrats say the move is already clear and none has been pushing harder than this presidential candidate. Let's test Mr. Steyer on his case for impeachment and for the environment. Also, just days before the next Democratic debates, we're seeing a bolder Biden. The front runner says this time he ain't going to be as polite. Will he be the warrior many in his party crave? Big questions out there. What do you say? Let's get after it. All right, so House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made a little bit of a shift. She says Democrats should do what they need to do on impeachment. Question is, has the Trump train left the station? Is it too little, too late? Now, Mr. Tom Steyer has poured big bucks into making impeachment happen. The 2020 candidate joins us now. Can't be happy because it isn't happening. Tom, good to have you. Thank you. Chris, nice to be here. So answer the question for me. Uh, Impeachment, while obviously a possibility, now... Too little, too late. Well, you know, I've called on Speaker Pelosi to cancel the 44 day congressional vacation that starts tomorrow Mm. and use that time to have hearings so the American people can continue what they've learned from Mr. Mueller, which is that we have the most corrupt president in American history, that he's more than met the criteria to be impeached and he should be removed as soon as possible. But, you know, you don't have a Puerto Rico here. And you don't have a Watergate. You don't have a clear felony uh, that comes out as a surprise to the American people. And you don't have that kind of public uprising that shows a consensus for this type of action. So why do you see it as the best move? Look, we d- Chris, you're right. We haven't had the televised hearings that we had in Watergate that let the American into the fact of how corrupt President Nixon was. And we've been calling for two years for those kind of hearings here so the American people can see exactly how corrupt this president is. Mm. The fact that we haven't had them is a straight up failure of government. It's the reason one of the reasons that I'm running for president is I feel as if we have a failed government. We have to return that government to the people. That's what I've been trying to do for 10 years as an outsider. And that's why I'm running for president. Why not just make the uh, the. Make the case to the people. Take it out on the hustings. Tom Spire is better for America, better than this president. Here's what he did. Here's why it's unacceptable. Vote for me. Well, I'm not running on impeachment, Chris, just so you know. I'm running on the fact that the corporations have taken over our government. For 10 years as an outsider, I've been putting together coalitions of regular American citizens to take on those corporations. We've been beating them for 10 years. 
And frankly, climate is a perfect example of what we're seeing. Mm. We're seeing the oil and gas companies yeah. calling the tune on energy and pollution and climate when it should be the American people. I'll take the bait on the pivot. And here's why. One, I think it's pragmatic of you to say I'm not just running on impeachment because it comes with risk. And two, you've got a big plan for the environment. But I want to pick at it this way. You say you're going to use your emergency powers. Now, doesn't that make you arguably more like the president than dissimilar? Because how do you use the emergency powers and emergency declaration on the environment? Chris, we are in a crisis on climate. It is threatening the health and safety of every American. Agreed. This is exactly what the emergency powers were given. When the American people are threatened, in fact, the president has to act. If the government and the Congress can't act, then the president has to protect the country and the people. But that's a political that's argument, but about. it's not the power located in that statute. That's why this show and many others argued against the president's exercise of that statute as an emergency declaration because the border and needing a fence ain't an emergency declaration. That statute had a specific Absol- purpose in taking the purse strings away from Congress. I don't know how this fits. Chris, in this case, I completely agree with you that President Trump was completely out of line in trying to use emergency powers for the border. But in terms of the climate crisis, we can see the damage it's doing. We can see the damage that it's going to do, the absolute threat to our country. And we've got to turn the page on this conversation from talk and inaction to immediate action. I don't disagree. This has to happen. I don't that's disagree. That's what I'm doing but we by can. declaring a state of emergency on day one. See, and that's where we disagree. And I'll tell you why, Tom. I get the first part of it, that, you know, you need to be a persuader in chief. You need to form consensus. And that has to motivate Congress to satisfy the appetite for different and change on the part of their constituents. But if you just do an end run and do a power play that further messes up our checks and balances, how are you any better than what we have there now? Well, let me put it to you this way, Chris. You've got to go back to my basic thesis, which is the corporations have bought the democracy. We can see it in climate. We can see it in drug pricing. We can see it in gun violence. We can see it across the board. Eight out of 10 Americans agree with that statement. And we've got to break that corporate stranglehold and return the democracy to the people. And honestly, that's what I've been doing in the states for 10 years by organizing people, direct democracy, Right. Passing propositions, going around the legislature. Tricky on the federal level. People. Tricky on the federal level, In easier fe- on the state level. But I'm not I'm not arguing with your premise that we have you know, you are outlining some of the factors that are stopping change on the climate. Uh, understood. If they can't find a way to make money on it, they're not going to pursue it with the kind of appetite <laughs> that they will with they're making money off right now. I'm saying don't become what you oppose. You know, don't make an, you know, arguably a righteous but wrong power play to get something done just because you believe in it. Because then you're just like what we have now. The most famous historic example of emergency powers was Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. There was an absolute threat to the safety and health of Americans. And he felt that it was absolutely necessary to act speedily and firmly. And that's what we're talking about here. We don't have any more time to wait. Mm -hmm. You can talk about persuasion, but we have a party, the Republican Party, that's a subsidiary of the oil and gas business. Those people have Democrats take a lot of money from oil and and gas, too, Tom. And they're smart business. They put their hands into everybody's pocket if they can get it in there. I understand that. 
but the safety and health of the American people, of every single person, is at risk here. It's particularly true for low-income communities and yes. communities of color. We have our climate plan, if you look at it, is a bottoms-up plan, specifically justice-based, and it starts on day one because that's the extent of this emergency. Give me if, the... in fact, we don't act that way, Mother Nature is not going to wait for the Congress Listen, of the United we, States. Listen, we live it here in the senses. Northeast. We live it all over the country. We get a 100-year storm every other year. Give me your top three points in the plan. Okay, what I'd say is this. Number one, state of emergency on day one, 100 days for Congress to pass a Green New Deal or we use the emergency powers of the presidency. Two, it's a people-centered plan where we have a ton of effort to hear from communities how they want us to do it, but particularly to make sure that the communities that have been most harmed will be, will be protected and that displaced workers in industries that are, going, that are being affected will be specifically taken care of up front. And lastly, in order for this to work, we need to reassert American leadership around the world. This can't happen. It's a global problem. We need American global moral leadership. We need American global technical leadership. We need American global industrial leadership. This is a chance for America to be richer, better employed, higher wages, grow faster, be healthier, but also to reassert the idea of what we are as a country, mm. that we're the country that leads the world in every way, but in in particular on a moral basis about freedom and justice. This is, we have to do it. It's a huge opportunity for us to reassert the kind of country that we were mm. formed to be. The that, country that steps up and does what's right when it has to be done. Well, Tom this is Steyer, our chance. This is what we know for sure at this point. That's what this election is going to be about, is what is Absolutely. the definition of America? What are we about? What do we reject? Who are we? Who are we not? So the more you talk about that, the more you'll be part of the conversation. Tom Steyer, thank you for being here in the conversation with us tonight. Chris Cuomo, thank you. All right. All right. Of course, what to do about this president for the Democrats is all tangled up with how to replace him and have one of their own in there, right? That's part of their calculus. And on that score, the Wizard of Odds has some new numbers that paint more of a picture of who may be their best chance and where. Look at him. He's doing things. Next. All right, the gift is here. The Wizard of Oz, Harry Enten. <laughs> well, here's why. Numbers are nothing without context. Yes. And if the Democrats are trying to figure out who is their best messenger and what is their best message, they're going to have to look at the numbers, but more importantly, in the places that matter. What do you see on the fresh stats? The fresh, the fresh numbers. So Ohio, right? That is a state that it, Republicans have never won the presidency without winning Ohio. And what do we see here? We see Vice President Joe Biden leading Donald Trump by eight points. All the other major Democratic contenders, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, are all either trailing or tied with Donald Trump in the case of Kamala well, Harris. One point, it's got to be within the MOE. But the idea of any shifting here, has anybody gotten weaker against Trump? Anybody gotten stronger against Trump? No, I, I would just say that this is something that we have seen continuously throughout this election cycle. We've seen that Joe Biden has continuously been doing very well against Donald Trump in the different swing states. These are all states. Florida, oh, yeah, Pennsylvania, Florida, Pennsylvania, Texas, Texas. All of these states were won by Donald Trump in 2016, and Joe Biden is the one leading in all of them. And more than that, he's the only one leading in Texas, and he is doing better than all the other Democrats in both Florida and Pennsylvania. How many Republicans, or let's, let's call them anti-Trump Republicans, say they'll vote for Biden? 
Yeah, so I think this is a rather interesting nugget. So this is from the Ohio poll that we were just talking about. And essentially, I broke this down, the Biden versus Trump matchup and the Warren versus Trump matchup. And what you see here is that both Biden and Warren are about doing equally mm-hmm. as well among Democrats. But look, among independents, look at this. Elizabeth Warren at 48 percent, Joe Biden at 55 percent in the matchup against Trump. Look at Republicans. Elizabeth Warren just at 4 percent. Look at Joe Biden, 10 percent. So even though he's still trailing among Republicans, he's getting more of that vote. How much of the 10 percent turns into that lip biter at the end, which is I got to go with my own? You know what? I, I, there's only 4% on the side. This is not bad for him. I would say, looking at the other polling numbers, that Joe Biden is the most popular candidate among non-Democratic primary voters of all the Democrats running for president so right now. So Joe Biden is muscling up. That means that somebody told him, you need to muscle up before this debate. Yeah. What is Eat it framed readies. up as right now with him uh, and the rest of the Democrats? Yeah. So take a look at this. So this is a rather interesting thing. So I took an average of the live interview polls and I broke it down just immediately following the first debate and then over the last few weeks. And what do we see? We see Joe Biden actually recovering. Remember, he dropped off after that first debate and he has recovered somewhat. He's now back up to 30 percent of the national Democratic primary poll average. And basically, you have this three way tie for second place still 16 percent for Warren. 14% for Sanders, 12% for Harris. But we have seen that Biden has been able to recover some of that ground, and that's why you're going to see a lot of Democrats go after him in that debate. You know what I want to watch uh, as we go forward? That every time the president inflames the national dialogue yes. and pushes division, it'll be interesting to see if these numbers go down and this one goes up, because that will be a direct metric for Democrats and independents who are anti-Trump to say, I need to beat this president. Who is my best choice, no matter how I feel about plans? If the argument is about electability, Joe Biden has the best case to make at this point based upon the current polling. Now, but if he gets his ass whooped again in the debates. If he gets his butt whooped, what I would say, yes, I'm a young man. I use certain (laughs) languages. If he gets his butt whooped, then yes, we did see his numbers drop after the first debate. But over the past few weeks, as he's gotten tougher, we've seen his poll numbers improve. And I'll also point out, we see it, look. South Carolina, this is a very important contest. We see him overwhelmingly leading the field here. 39 percent. Fourth state, so it's big early in the calendar. Big African-American vote, so it gives you two metrics. Right, exactly right. And look at this. Among African-Americans, 51 percent at this point saying they're going to go with Joe Biden well ahead of Kamala Harris. And look, Cory Booker's not even on this particular graphic. And people have to remember, you can't just say, oh, well, they're African-Americans. They'll vote for an African-American. They are known not only as a strong loyalist base within the party, but moderates on policy. So if it's color versus concentration of policy, they may go with policy over identity. That's exactly right. And remember, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, all these candidates are running to the left. They're running to the left on health care. And that is a particular issue with Obamacare. African-Americans are very proud of that achievement of President Obama, and they're going with Joe Biden at this point. Right. And you've been uh, working on numbers that show that people on health care are not that happy about an extreme plan. They are not happy about an extreme plan. The more moderate conservative Democrats want that public option. They don't want Medicare for all. And I know that I'm a, more vulgar than you, but this is going to be a very vulgar election, Harry. Thank so you. so steal yourself. I, I, you know, what? I'm going to protect myself. Folks. I'm an steal innocent yourself. young man, but I'm going to get protect some myself. type of totem. <laughs> Harry Anton, the Wizard of Odds. Thank you very much. So it is five days before the next debates here on CNN. And I'm not just hyping them because it's CNN. Joe Biden has to perform that night. Why? Because at some point you got to start winning. Remember, we said that on election night when we were all looking at the map with Hillary Clinton. At some point, you got to win. So Joe Biden, will it work for him to muscle up? Here are the debaters, Michael Eric Dyson, Jennifer Granholm. Ooh, next. Week out from another debate. It's going to be a showdown here on CNN. Joe Biden muscling up, taking jabs at Kamala Harris on health care. Cory Booker, 
on criminal justice reform. Here's the taste. People will say that for Medicare for all, but they're not going to tax the middle class because we don't need to do that. Come on. What is this? This is a fantasy world here? His police department was stopping and frisking people, mostly African-American men. Hey, you want to talk about the past? Everybody has one. Now, is this posture for Biden more aggressive, a better way for him to go into this debate? Let's have a debate about this ourselves. In fact, let's make it a great one. And that's all about the people. And we have them. Michael Eric Dyson, author of What Truth Sounds Like and Jennifer Granholm. Uh, Good to have you both. Jennifer Granholm, you helped in the last debate. You are not helping in this debate because it's on CNN and you work here. Um, But are you happy with this new posture from Biden? (laughs) Yeah, here's what I would say on this, Chris. I mean, First of all, I was with a whole bunch of Democrats today, and they were saying, please, please don't have Democrats attacking one another personally. Attack Too late. For sure, on policy. Right, okay. But if he's punched, he's going he's gonna to be jabbing Joe, my guess is. He's going to punch right back. And I think people want to see that he's a fighter. But I do think that Democrats are nervous about Democrats tearing one another down because we got to keep our eye on the prize, which is the general election. Mm. Uh, Professor, uh, my father used to joke <laughs> that uh, they only shoot backwards in cowboy movies, uh, that the front runner should always just look forward. But he got beat up by Booker. He got beat up by Harris. And it, Democrats keep saying they want a warrior and they feel that they're getting into one of the dirtiest fights ever in this general election. Should you see Biden doing anything else? Sure. All is fair in love and war and Democratic uh, contest for the presidency. Um, look, I think that Governor Granholm is right. We don't want to see an ad hominem, an ad feminine assault. We don't want to see personal attacks launched in the Trumpian mode where people uh, denigrate another human being. But going after a record is perfectly fine. And being able to give as well as one takes is absolutely fine as well. I think that uh, the perception that Joe Biden was somehow outclassed, outgassed, and then uh, out-talked may have to be dealt with, and he has a right to address that. At the same time, let the records speak for themselves. And he has amassed, what, a 40-some-odd-year record. Mm. He's got more to come at. Therefore, there's more material for his opponents. But I think it is absolutely appropriate for him to be able to defend himself in light of the principled assaults that may be launched against him. Now, look, we talk about race on this show a lot because... I respect the context and nature of the conversation that has to happen because we're nowhere that we need to be. However, Granholm, when we looked at what happened with Kamala Harris in that last debate, that wasn't an off the cuff remark. That wasn't a, hey, Joe, let me remind you, I was somebody who got busted. It worked for me. uh, So you need to wake up. It was calculated. She had the ads and T-shirts ready to go. And it was as close to the line of an ad hominem we've seen. Now, if that's the kind of debate that you guys are going to have, then Democrats have to stop saying that you want it to be cleaner because she was rewarded for that just as Booker was in the polls. Yeah, but everybody does have a past, as you've said, whether it is 40 years ago, which people want to hear less about, or was it whether it's something more recent. Those are fair. It's fair game. But then the question is, how do you quickly pivot and talk to people about what you're going to do for them? 40 mm. years ago, I mean, half the electorate wasn't even alive. They don't, you know, it's not relevant to them. And Joe Biden, by the way, he did, a, a, I thought, a really nice job of apologizing and sort of suggesting to people looking forward in South Carolina, when he was campaigning last week, he said, basically, I am not the same person that I was when I was sent to the Senate when I was 29 years old. 
I have changed. People do change. I am not perfect. There are things I wouldn't do the same way, but here we are. And let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. That, I think, Mm. is the kind of message that Democrats want to hear. All right. You're both nodding your heads. So both of you feel free to attack me as being a cynic. That's because he's from Detroit and he's (laughs) we we share that same. What it is. (laughs) In in fairness, the professor has been emailing me and saying on this show for a long time uh, that the Democrats have to get straight what they want to do, which is beat the president. Um, But this is my question to you about that, uh, Mm -hmm. Professor. I see this election. Even the death penalty stuff that came up today with Barr, what is that? That's a metaphor point of the new harshness, okay? This election is about identity. It's not about health care. Health care is going to be a proxy issue because it goes to people's feelings of security and what government should do for them. But this is going to be an identity game, and it's going to be played on the president's terms because he's the president. And he's going to be coming about who we are, who we're not, why you're a bum, why you stink, why you're weak, why you're old, or why you're a woman who's not up to the job, or whatever it is. And you're going to have to be ready for that or you will lose. Do you accept that proposition? No doubt about it. But here's the thing. Even today, the judgment made about the death penalty, who does that disproportionately affect? African-American people. So that we know that, you know, the very people who always decry identity politics. Why do you people play identity politics? All politics have an identity if it's your identity that's at stake. So that whiteness has been seen as a universal and therefore a neutral forum within which people make judgments about what's going on. For instance, think about the argument that Kamala Harris was calculated but Uncle Joe wasn't. Tell me, you tell me the refusal to apologize is not calculated to look tough. What did he ended up looking like? He ended up looking like an old white guy who doesn't know that he ought to apologize when somebody says you hurt me and then gin up the argument, make principled assaults upon them because he could have well said that Kamala Harris has some vulnerabilities that need to be articulated that he could do. Well, he blew so, that opportunity. But let's just be fair for but one it's, second. But it's both and. It's not you, either or, sir. No, Calculations I'm with you. I'm, professor, I, I accept that. But Jennifer, what happens when you apologize in politics? What happens? You get well, beat up right on now, people, for apologizing. But he yeah. apologized anyway. I, I know. He apologized I, I, I don't know why later. he did, because I don't know what it gets you in this I, business right now. That's why the president well, you know never apologized. Can I jump in before, before the governor? I disagree with that. But, but here's the point. Go ahead. That if, at the very beginning, had he said, look, you're absolutely right. I was wrong, but mm-hmm. I did something, you know, 30, 40 years ago that I've yes. changed. And since then, I've been hanging out with a black guy named Barack Obama. <laughs> and by the way, I defended him and went to war for him. And so that, you know, Janet Jackson has raised the question, what have you done for me lately? Let me tell you what I've done more recently that allows me to articulate right. my principled right. racial practice and allows me to defend myself on this stage. No, I give, I give that a name. That been taken. I give that a name. I don't mean to be a in terms of the power of forgiveness and the ability to have a legitimate apology. I'm just saying I'm in politics, preacher, it's not often rewarded. Although I would right. say this, uh, Gov, I think that Mr. Biden may be doing Harris and Booker and anybody else he gets into it with a favor because Democrats need to see any of these potentials tested because they, this is the most fearsome politician we've seen in my lifetime on the national stage, President Trump. And I mean that as a compliment, the man knows how to fight in a way that the media will, will reward and his base will respond. So you got to see if they're up to it. No question. No question. People want to see people getting in the ring and battling, battling fiercely over ideas. They completely want that. And yes, record is fair game. No doubt about that either. But People much want more want to see the future. What is going to happen to me and my life in the future? Mm. And I don't think that apologizing or at least saying, you know what, 
I've evolved. I've grown. I've grown. I mean, I, I have done stuff in the past year that I would redo again. I have done stuff in the past day that I would redo. It's not human to suggest that we are static as human beings. I mean, uh, Dr. Dyson, you're a preacher. You understand the power of, of, of uh, you know, forgiveness. Love and forgiveness. And I think that I think that there is a place for that, for somebody that has lived a long time to understand the power of mm. evolution. So all of that is to say, yes, fight. Yes, come out swinging. Come out swinging on ideas and persuade us that your ideas are the best for the people. But you, but you know what, Chris Cuomo, you know what the real deal is. Uh, Donald Trump has an ability and a privilege to say nasty and do nasty things that an African-American woman won't. If Hillary Clinton had done yeah. half the stuff that uh, this man is doing, she would have been berated. If Barack Obama had taken a because sip the of left a white cares Russian about drink this in, a in the White House, if the he had left, taken a white Russian drink, you but, but guys will judge you, on this. His but, people will not. But I'm saying to you, not. sir, a black man can't be angry. A black woman can't be as angry as Donald Trump, can't be as vociferous, mm -hmm. as vituperative, as nasty, and as as, as uh, disregarding the consequences of his own speech. And I'm telling you, that's a form of privilege that these candidates don't have. Listen, and as a result of that, fighting has to be done in very strategic and very politic fashion. Very true. You must understand the rules of play, even if you want to change and reject those rules. Vituperative is a big fair. word. Biggest word I ever used is mayonnaise, but I respect you for using that word on this show because it is perfectly <laughs> Let's fit. Deconstruct and look, it, brother. you've got the metaphor here. You've got a white Anglo-Saxon man who is preaching to America that his prejudices are well-founded and that the division no is necessary. And you are going to have a monumental task in front of you. It'll go to the core of the soul of this country. Out Michael of his Eric, mind and out of his depth. Michael Eric Dyson, Always a plus. Jennifer Granholm, value added, as always. Thank you both. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much. I got one quick thing I want to show you. Widen out a little bit, Ellie. Uh, here's a metaphor I was taught about how you need to fight in a primary as a Democrat, okay? When somebody attacks you, you go like this. Hey, you know, take it easy. I don't want any trouble, any trouble. You look defensive, right? But look how close your hand has gotten to your opponent. And then you hit back. That's what you're going to have to see in this debate. Not ugliness. Disagreement with decency, but somebody who can put their hands up when they're being attacked and then knows how to smack back at an opponent to show that they are the strongest for their party in this. It's a metaphor that worked for me. I was like 12 when someone taught it to me. So in terms of the substance of it, the biggest issue that came out of this Mueller probe yesterday should now be obvious to you about what it should mean in the election. Election protection. But it's still not happening. Republicans are stopping it. Why? The president isn't demanding it. Why? We're going to talk to one of the heads of his re-election campaign. What is the way forward? Next. I don't know how much more proof we need of this. I would see it as dispositive at this point. But President Trump's own FBI director just told us all today the same thing that Mueller did yesterday, that the head of intelligence has, that the, you know, our elections are under attack. In the last few years, we've seen many examples of cyber actors targeting political campaigns. We expect much of the same in 2020. Russia, China, North Korea, maybe even more and more pernicious. Why? Now they know it works. Nearly two dozen election security bills have been introduced in this Congress. None is going anywhere. And we haven't heard anything from this president except that it's not real and that he believes that Putin had nothing to do with it. Kaylee McEnany is with his campaign. Good to have you on the show to get this perspective. Help me understand this one, because now that it is, 
case closed. And I, and I think that the president has um, a fair chance of making that argument after yesterday. Why not jump on election protection and say Russian interference is real? We got to fix it. Well, he has. And I'll give you several things that have been done by both Congress and the president. Uh, DHS has worked with more than a thousand localities and states to ensure that their systems have integrity and are safe and protected. The president's issued two executive orders to assess our cybersecurity. Uh, you look at Congress, they passed the Deter Act, which says you can't enter this country if you've engaged in election interference. And by the way, I would note they made it a crime to hack our elections. And they provided $380 million to states more than 1,050 localities. So a lot has been done, Chris. Uh, it's just false to say that nothing has been done and no one has cared about this issue because this administration has, and certainly more than Obama, who did nothing. Well, first of all, we didn't have the risk then. You can argue that Obama mishandled it when he found out about it during 2016 and that he played it too safe and he made the mistake of going to Mitch McConnell and trying to have this be bipartisan. But let's keep him out of it because that was then, this is now. My point is simple. This president has never said the following. Russia interfered in our election. They're trying to do it again. And I will stop them. Never. President Trump said on May 3rd, Russia cannot interfere in our election. He has said that before. And I don't think you can leave President Obama out of this because this threat went back to 2014. That is when the intel community Kayleigh, knew went back that there was a threat. That. The point is that that is a distraction from the now. And when the president stood on the stage of Helsinki, if you want to look back, when he sat there, he said this. All I can do is ask the question, my... People came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Boy, oh boy, you want to go back to Obama when he said to then President Medvedev, you know, after the election, I'll have more leeway on policy. You guys made it seem like it was traitorous. Yet he said that on the stage in Helsinki and you want the people to believe that he cares about the issue. Well, first, Ambassador Bolden noted the very first issue that was brought up in that meeting with Putin was election interference. By whom? President Trump meant by President Trump. And he said Vladimir what? Putin. He brought up election interference. I wasn't in the conversation. Like he did in that last press brought, conference where he said, hey, up. don't interfere in our election again. <laughs> it, it was brought up, Chris. And I would contrast this, by the way, to Susan Rice, Obama's NSA national security advisor, who said, cut it out and stand down when the intel community said we must act against Russia. By contrast, this president has implemented sanctions, crippling sanctions. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who made, him, who made him put the sanctions in place, Kaylee? Who made Congress. him? No one made him. He didn't he introduce did, the he, sanctions. He didn't he, want to do the sanctions. He was forced Chris, to do the sanctions. You know as well as I do, he's implemented sanctions. He's closed the Russian consulate, two of them. He has expelled 60 Russian intel officers. And he has what stood on President the world stage and said he believes Putin over his no, own he, intel community. He came out right after that and said, I meant to say uh, yeah. that, that Russia yeah, did have a role. He lied to the American people no, and tried to say that lied. he didn't say what we all heard he him say. But here's what I'm saying. Looking backwards is bad for you. Let's look forwards and say, why doesn't he now say Election protection is paramount. McConnell, stop playing games. Put this on the floor. Act the way he did at the press conference yesterday about this issue. If you don't do it, you're fake and you're bad and you're untruthful and I don't like you. Say that to people who won't pass he has. protections. He has. He has I gave you the never date. made May, a public statement May of strength 3rd, behind ensuring has, the election. Yes, he has. And his actions speak louder than this anything President Obama did, Chris. 
anything President Obama did. The sanctions he didn't have, have the same threat. The, the san- yes, he did. Going he back did to 2014, This happened in 2016 is the when D- it became this. The DNC server was hacked, and they knew about attempts to hack this going back to And he made the mistake of not wanting to corrupt the election and going to Mitch McConnell to see if this could and be a bipartisan thing. And that was his mistake. President Bad Obama's, no, President Obama's own national security advisor said stand down. President Obama did absolutely nothing. Even his own Russian ambassador said the and sanctions I have a report in the aftermath in my hand of the election from Republican senators saying one of the first things they need to do, their second recommendation, is the United States should communicate to adversaries that it will view an attack on its election infrastructure as a hostile act and we will respond accordingly. And you've never heard this president say it to the person who interfered the most. And this is a man who loves to threaten people that he wants to threaten. Not he here. Has- he has repeatedly said it, but more than he has that, not he repeatedly has acted. Said it. He has stopped Nord 2. The biggest geoeconomic project in Russia is no longer going on because of President Trump and his sanctions and his actions that he has taken louder than anything President Obama did in his stand down Why won't order, he tell Congress to order. act on this issue Congress on these bills? Congress has acted. I gave you many then examples. Then why are all the these Republicans act. in the Senate trying to say we need to do more and because there have to be bills that are bipartisan that McConnell shoots down? Chris, the the bills that have been passed on election security by McConnell have been unanimous. The ones that have not passed were narrow on partisan lines and would have done nothing. The two today were partisan bills. The bills that have unanimous support passed. By saying that you have to notify the FBI when a foreign foreign actor comes to you. Yeah, one of, first of all, again, a farce because it it is already a crime to accept assistance from a foreign government. I know, but what if it's less than that? What if you don't actually get something of of value, but they do come to you? That's something we now know we need to report. Chris, when Obama toured Europe during his campaign and McCain did and Romney did, it would have required them to report every single conversation no, or meeting it's with not, someone while overseas. Only if it's that person made a broad. solicitation to help them in the campaign. But, Kelly, mm-hmm. i got to leave it there. It's an important conversation. I appreciate you having it with me. We will continue it. All right. Thank you, Chris. Kaylee McEnany, thank you. All right. Tough news. 16 U.S. Marines arrested on their own base right in the middle of gathering and formation. 16. Not easy to imagine. And what they're accused of is horrible. But we have to talk about it. It's instructive. Not of all Marines, but of these. D. Lemon, next. An investigation into human smuggling turned into a mass arrest today at Camp Pendleton in California. 16 Marines were taken into custody for migrant smuggling and drug-related offenses. The drug offenses had nothing to do with moving across the border. Um, But... This comes just weeks after two Marines from the same battalion were charged for transporting undocumented immigrants for money. The lemon is here. Let's say the obvious first. Uh, few bad apples, not reflective of the bunch. U.S. Marines are arguably at the top of the food chain of people committed to our freedom. Uh, but, you know, this does shine a light on how if you want to worry about who's sneaking people across the border, you don't have to just look at migrants. Yeah, which is absolutely true. Chris, I don't even know what to say about this story as I read it, you know, because we have such respect for our men and women in uniform. But I I just I can't believe it. But I guess, you know, the moral of the story is that it can happen to anyone. Good people can go bad. I, I, I hate to criticize our men and women in uniform because they do such a great job. But this if true, is terrible, terrible activity, and they deserve whatever punishment they get. Yeah, I think you call it out because we do respect them. Right. And we want to show that there is a standard 
uh, and they have to live up to it, maybe even right. more than the rest of us. They're kind of like the last line of people that we expect the best from on a regular basis. And of course, no one is immune from bad behavior. No they're one human. is immune from bad behavior. They're human. But again, yeah. you won't see the president going after the Marines for smuggling migrants across the border. Why? Absolutely true. Because it doesn't sell his fear and divisiveness to attack these smugglers. If you, if they were other Mexicans or migrants. Oh my gosh. Anyone from Central America, Honduras, any of that, oh my gosh, as you call it, the brown what? Menace. Menace. Uh, listen, I'm going to have Congresswoman Madeline Dean on. Everyone wants to know what is going to happen. She's uh, with the uh, Judiciary Committee. Everyone wants to know what Democrats are going to do right now. So I've been here in Washington. I'm still here. I'm trying to figure out what is the plan going forward. We're getting ready for the debates as well. We're trying to figure out what's going on um, and who's going to be the best candidate to take on President Trump. That's the whole point of this thing, right? But also, there's this story. I don't know if you heard about it. Have you heard about this Ole Miss story? Yes. And what happened at this Emmett Till statue, yeah. Emmett Till Memorial? The kids Memorial. in front of it with the guns. Kids in front of it with the guns. They are facing, these are students, facing possible civil rights charges and civil rights investigation for things that they posted online. They were with guns. They don't know if, if they, in fact, uh, did something uh, to the monument, right, desecrated the monument, but it's all under investigation. What in the hell is going on in this country right now? You know what's going on. I'll be back with you in a second, D. Lemon. See you in a bit. All right. You want to talk about what's going on? The federal government is bringing back the death penalty. Why? Because that's what this campaign is about. It's about the new harshness, social instructions in different types of brutality. So what is the right move here? You have to look at this policy deeply and in different ways. I will do that for you in the closing argument next. So this president wants to start killing people again on the federal level in the name of justice. Only three have received the death penalty since 1976 on the federal level. And Attorney General Barr now wants to nearly double that in just a six-week span. Should we have it? Righteous retribution and the validation of vengeance. This new appeal to harshness sounds powerful, but is taking a life a show of strength? Let's look at it different ways. Not to Jesus. His core message for believers was love, mercy. So if you're pro-life and pro-death penalty, you've got an inconsistency. And if you argue, well, fetuses are innocent and these people are guilty, I send any Christian back to the source. Did Jesus say you decide who lives and dies? But that's politics and religion, and it gets muddy. Ultimately, what about practicality? Does this policy work? Does it deter people from killing because they fear the penalty? Take a look. Graph of states and homicide rates where the death penalty is in effect. More killing, not less. So if it doesn't deter, is it justice? Is it fairness under law? There has been constant scrutiny in the courts since Furman v. Georgia in the 70s. Legal debates about how the punishment is carried out mainly, lately mostly about which drugs should be used. However, if you look at the numbers, the story of unfair application emerges. And it's not as simple as blacks get it the most. On one level, blacks and whites are about the same percentage of the prison population and of death row. Of course, you have a lot more whites and blacks in the country, but that gets complicated. Go deeper. When do we find a murder worthy of this penalty? Half of homicide victims are African-American, but the death penalty is way more prevalent when the victim is white. And if you look at what happens when a black person kills a white person, 290 executions. 
white person kills a black person, 21. 290, 21. The biggest obstacle to fairness. This penalty cannot be reversed. So when there's a mistake, then what? Well, have there been? Yeah, 166 exonerations since 1973. Well, at least we haven't ever killed anybody wrongly. We don't know. Courts don't take up cases of dead people. So we can't say how many were killed in error by the United States, murdered in that case. These factors have made the death penalty a vestige of a less evolved society. How do we know? Look at the company we keep by having a policy like this. China, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Pakistan, Egypt, Somalia. And there we are, the United States. You are the company you keep. Even here, a society that is distinguished in part by violence, be honest, popularity of killing people has fallen. And we are now split about 50-50. And that is the stage for this election. This president knows we are divided and he is pushing on prejudice. That's what a demagogue does. Prove it. Muslims stay out. Brown folks go home. If someone protests at a rally, knock them out. Insult the free press if you don't like what they report. And now the ultimate new appeal to harshness. Here, we kill people. You won't find a justification in the numbers, nor comfort in the law books or certainly the good book. This is about the soul of society. What do you want to be about? The instruction here is death begets death. Death begets death. Therefore, killing can be okay. The president sees this for what it is, and he likes it. Do you? That's all for us tonight. Thanks for watching CNN Tonight with D. Lemon right now. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.